Welcome everybody back to the Pittsburgh Oddcast. My name is Andrew Lindbergh. I'm the producer of the program. And with me as always is the founder of the Odd, Mysterious, and Fascinating History of Pittsburgh, John Chalkowski. Why, hello everybody. Welcome back to part three of the Pittsburgh Name Trilogy. So if you haven't listened to episodes one and two of the Pittsburgh Names, uh, I suggest you go back and do that now. In that, we talk about the origin of the name Pittsburgh itself the origin of the three rivers, how they got their names. And, uh, of course, that's one of my favorite stories I tell, you know, and uh, with the land of giants and all that. The, uh, but we, I mean, we talked about almost everything. I mean, you think you talked about everything. I mean, we did most of the, uh, the how the sports teams got their names, you know, basically every little borough and nook and cranny in Allegheny County. And we're kind of kind of look at the uh, expanse of, uh, Naming of some of the hospitals, some of the high schools, some of the counties nearby in Allegheny County, and uh, dive more deep into that. So without further ado, we're going to get right into it. So hospitals. Here's a simple one, Andrew. Allegheny General. (laughs) So not named after a general, but named after Allegheny River, of course. The Children's Hospital, okay, of Pittsburgh. That, That was created by Jane Holmes. Right, as made as a specialized hospital incorporating on March 18th, 1887. So it's been around that long here in Pittsburgh. And uh, it outgrew its many locations. In fact, originally it was in Shadyside. It was called the Shadyside Cot Club. <laughs> so and then they changed the name to the Children's Hospital eventually. So, But the uh, the Eye and Ear Institute, of course, was been, that's pretty self-explanatory, but it's been around since 1895. I don't want to leave it out. Right, and then uh, another one of the biggest ones, and uh, one of the ones that I always like to uh, pay, yeah, pay special attention to, is McGee Woman's Hospital, or more specifically, Elizabeth Steele McGee Woman's Hospital. So, founded in 1911 through the generosity of Christopher Lyman McGee, and it was in the memory of his mother. Now, Christopher McGee uh, not only was a uh, had a large political career here in Pittsburgh, but uh, was also the person who founded the Pittsburgh Zoo. It was also the person who created the Pittsburgh Casino and the Duquesne Garden, where the birth of professional hockey, as we know it, began. <laughs> so uh, he also invented, you know, created that hospital, and uh, it's where I was born, 1982. Oh wow! Yeah, so I always like to throw their uh, name out there in the mix. Mine was Allegheny General. Well, there you go. All right. So Mercy Hospital. Um, it's an interesting one. So it goes back to the Sisters of Mercy, of course. Uh, it was founded in 1847 and is the oldest hospital within the, within the city limits. Now, the hospital moved from its present uh, location on the bluff in May of 1848, merged with UPMC in 2008. But the Sisters of Mercy, that particular hospital, right, was the subject to uh, scrutiny and uh, banishment in the mayoral election of 1850. So... I believe we've probably talked about Joseph Barker or one of our, well, we did with when we had uh, the mayor on one of our episodes, we talked about Joseph Barker and uh, some of the crazy things that he did as mayor in 1850. And one of those things was throw Mother Superior, who was in charge of Mercy Hospital in jail for giving out free medicine to the sick and homeless and of any kind of race and creed or religion. They didn't care. They just wanted to help the sick. You know, And uh, that mayor had a problem with that and through Mother Superior in jail. So, he had a lot of problems. And he did. That he did. Uh, Montefiore. Where do you think you get Montefiore from? Something French? Kind of. Kind of. Well, no. 
So okay. it was uh, named after Sir Moses Montefiore, who was born in 1784, and he was a knight and a British Jew. And he was pro- very prominent in the Jewish community there, and uh, and even was very active in the Land of Israel Church. It was founded in 1905 for it uh, basically improve the charitable works for Hebrew Lady- Ladies Aid Society. Moved in Oakland in 1929 and has been there pretty much ever since. Passivant. So the uh, Passivant was another one named after a priest. Uh, this time, Priest Reverend William Passivant, who was born in 1821. It began in 1849. It wasn't located in North Hills, where it is today. It was originally in a rented house on Fleming Street in Allegheny City. <laughs> so that's where uh, Passivant Hospital began. And then it eventually moved to the corner of Roberts and Reed Street in the Lower Hill District, then moved to the North Hills in 1964. Hmm. Been there ever since. Right. So, Presby. So, in Presby, you think would be pretty obvious, right? A Presbyterian hospital. But in 1893, Dr. Louise Watring Lyle, the widow of a Presbyterian minister, opened five room Louise Lyle Hospital in Allegheny City. It was renamed the Presby Hospital in 1895, eventually located all the way up to Westview Park. In 1927, moved back down to Pittsburgh, and in 1961, became the Presbyterian University Hospital. Eventually combined with lots of other things, and now it's all UPMC. Yeah, I was going to say, now everything's <laughs> yeah, UPMC. Every, every single thing you're hearing here is UPMC, just about. Except Allegheny General and uh, a couple other ones. That's, that's right. You're right. Uh, Shadyside Hospital, the same type of thing. UPMC. Right, yeah. Uh, Shadyside Hospital in 1866 it was founded. It was originally called the Homeopathic Medical and Surgical Hospital and Dispensary. <laughs> so, and it was originally located on Boulevard of the Allies in downtown Pittsburgh. Now that sounds like somewhere you'd get your medical marijuana or CBD oil. <laughs> Homeopathic Medical and Dispensary, yeah. Uh, in 1884, a new building was built downtown and became known as the Homeopathic Hospital. Um, and it was actually the very first, the site of the very first nursing school that was between the Allegheny Mountains and Chicago. So, yeah, you know, Allegheny Mountains back in the, the you know, the old days, it was kind of like your judging point of mm-hmm. the West. So anything West of the Allegheny Mountains was literally like the great outdoors, you know, the, the West, like, you know, what we think of as, you know, Oklahoma or, you know, well, not even the West, you know, um, Arizona yeah. <laughs> or California or something. No, it was just beyond Pittsburgh was the West. So interesting that the very first nursing school was founded right here in Pittsburgh. Um, well, you know, the first one uh, after the Allegheny Mountains. And it wasn't in Shadyside at all. It was downtown Pittsburgh. So, you know, it's interesting how these things happen. St. Francis, established in 1868. This is by the Sisters of St. Francis on the land of the building of 44th Street down in Lawrenceville. And it was uh, donated by Dr. Philip Weisenberger, a nursing school again in 1901. Uh, the hospital closed in 2002, of course, and became part of the Children's Hospital. There's a couple other uh, long gone ones, you know, like uh, St. Joseph's, St. John's, uh, pretty self-explanatory. Uh, but St. Margaret's, of course, which is near Aspenwall, uh, was the site of St. Margaret's, the Waterworks Shopping Center, and the Pittsburgh Waterworks. John Schoenberger was born in 1810, was one of Pittsburgh's wealthiest iron manufacturers and philanthropists, endowed St. Margaret Memorial Hospital in loving memory of his wife, Margaret, who was known for her generosity and acts of kindness. So she wasn't a saint. I, well, like to him, saint. I guess he was, to Schoenberger. So, um, 
he he actually gave uh, after he died uh, bequeathed over eight hundred thousand dollars, which is equivalent of ten million dollars today to establish that hospital in that center. So uh, really did believe there. His wife uh, was a saint, of course. Uh, Western Pennsylvania, of course, or West Penn. One of the first chartered hospitals, uh, 1847 being Mercy Hospital. Next year, 1848, was Western Penn. Original location was in the Strip District, of all places. Uh, 1911, the new location was built in Bloomfield, where it stands to this day. The Western Pennsylvania School for Blind Children, that was created by a woman named Jane Holmes, who provided funding for the Children's Hospital and also provided funding for the School of the Blind. Opened October 15th. 1890, still located on the same land where it started, uh, which is the corner of Belfield Avenue and Bayard Street in Oakland. So some interesting uh, little tidbits about the early hospitals of Pittsburgh. So we, we talked briefly about some of the schools and some of the origin of the names of the schools in one of our uh, previous episodes, I believe in the second episode. Yes. Yeah, where we talked about uh, Carlo, how it's named after a Carlo actually means four lakes or Cartelaw, which is an old Gaelic pronunciation of uh, County Carlo, Ireland, four lakes. So a lot of these things had strange and interesting, unusual uh, origins or LaRoche, you know, named after Mother Superior Stephanie Amelia LaRoche von Starkenfels, <laughs> right? That's how we got the LaRoche. So, but what about some of the high schools? Have you ever thought about like, who are some of these high schools named after? I mean, other than you know, some of the obvious ones, um, like Pittsburgh Public Schools. But if we look into just Pittsburgh Public Schools, some of these names. Probably one on top of the list is Taylor Alderdice. Who is Taylor Alderdice? <laughs> was he somebody? Yes, he was. He was the president of the National Tube Company and the Board of Education member. And he was instrumental in setting up none other than the Cook Forest Nature Preserve. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> so that's who Taylor Alderdice is named after. Uh, Brashear, of course, opened in 1976. One of my uh, favorite names now, <laughs> you know, if you've listened to our Brashear episode. Uh, and that goes uh, without explaining. Uh, listen to that if you haven't already. But Brashear, of course, named after John Brashear, noted astronomer and engineer of telescopes. Now, uh, Carmalt Elementary in Overbrook was named after Mrs. Alice Carmalt, who was also on the Board of Education. Colfax Elementary in Squirrel Hill, named after Schuler Colfax, who was the vice president under Ulysses S. Grant. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that school, of course, opening up pretty early on. Conroy Education Center in Manchester honors John M. Conroy, who developed the first manual trade school in the, in the, in the city. Faison Elementary in Homewood, named after Helen S. Faison, Arts Academy. Dr. Faison was a former interim superintendent and longtime Pittsburgh Public School employee and the director of the Pittsburgh Teachers Institute at Chatham. Friendship Elementary, of course, uh, being named after the house that was owned by Casper and Harriet Weinbittle, which was in the Friendship neighborhood of Pittsburgh. They called their house, uh, like if you've listened to some of the other episodes, uh, they came up with funny names or you know, interesting names, mm -hmm. friendship being one of them. And uh, off subject, one of my favorite uh, names of an area, uh, it's in, in, a, in Allison Park, and it's over near um, 
where the uh, off of Route Eight in that area, off of Route Eight and Allison Park over there, uh, was called Tally Cavey. It was weird. <laughs> so um, I thought that was a weird one. But the uh, King Elementary in Allegheny Center that was named after Martin Luther King, of course. Langley High School. Uh, we're going to be doing an episode on Samuel Langley probably after Halloween, but it's a uh, named after Samuel P. Langley, the former director of the Allegheny Observatory, an early aviation pioneer, which we'll talk about because that's it's interesting <laughs> to say the least. And he was the first secretary of the Smithsonian Institute in Washington D.C. Mm. So interesting, uh, interesting guy. Minadeo Elementary in Squirrel Hill. John Minadeo, who was a teenage school safety patrol member, heroically gave his life, saving the lives of a group of young schoolmates here in Pittsburgh, and they named the school after him. Uh, Murray Elementary in Southside, named after Philip Murray, a Westmoreland County native and president of the Congress of Industrial Organizations, or the CIO. So, interesting. You had uh, Mann Elementary, which is in Marshall Shadeland, M-A-N-N, named after Horace Mann. Considered the father of American education. Yeah. Oliver High, Oliver High School, named after David B. Oliver, who was the first president of Pittsburgh School of Education, Board of Education. Um, Shenley High, of course, named after Mary Shenley, or you could say even William Shenley, her father, um, and just all the land that was donated there. And uh, last but not least, one of my favorite. Not my favorite, but one of my own most interesting ones I've always personally was curious about, and it was the high school of my grandfather uh, in the 1940s, where, where he went to high school uh, before joining World War II, but it's also where Frank Gorshin, the Batman the Riddler, Riddler <laughs> exactly, and uh, and uh, the lady who played the little psychic in the movie Poltergeist, uh, Zelda Rubenstein was her real name. She went to Peabody High, mm. uh, and that was named after Dr. Benjamin H. Peabody, a local physician who had served as a surgeon in the Union Army before coming to Pittsburgh in 1870, Dr. Peabody made his home on the 800 block of North Highland Avenue, three blocks away from the school. And he had a boy pet named Sherman. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, There's another school mm-hmm. that I thought of, my alma mater, Montour. Yeah. Named after Andrew Montour, who That's was right. an uh, interpreter many Indian conferences because he could speak Iroquois and Algonquin. He was also with George Washington at Fort Necessity, and he was with Braddock at uh, Monongahela, and he was a member also in the French and Indian War. So that is uh, where you get Montour Trail, Montour High School. I believe that he grew up in the Montoursville area, which is eastern. It's interesting how all these places got their name. You know, The high school I went to was uh, North Hills, and there's not much to... Um Really guess about that name? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's weird because they'd, they've since renovated the, the, the campus, but when I went there, there was a picture of a man. Mm-hmm. He was dressed European, but he also had like Native American flair hmm. to it. And I walked by the sign every day until one day our teacher was took us out and was like, so this is the guy that the school's <laughs> named after. Right. And he told us all this stuff and it was... It's funny because you just like walk by it every day, and yeah. he didn't take. The, I didn't take the time to appreciate it do. until. Yeah, I was. Uh, I just got my haircut on Friday, and I, uh, the girl. I was, you know, every time I get a haircut, it's like an adventure because I start telling story after story after story after story, you know, and I end up getting a an hour and a half long haircut. You know? But uh, and I always tell the, the origin of three rivers, you know, someone who's never heard these stories, and kind of like the best ofs, right? But I I talked about 
our episode on Brashear. And she's like, oh, I went to Brashear High School. She's like, I transferred from Langley High School. And I was like, no way, <laughs> you know? Well, do you know who Brashear is? And she had no idea. Just like, you think they would tell someone at the school, you know, that, oh, this guy, you know, had this love of the stars and everything. And, and you, know, the, the, you know, the story that we told, you know, like if you could just tell that to the kids, give you a little bit of inspiration. Um, well, that's, you think <laughs> so it's, well, as the generations go by, yeah, um, people slowly forget, forget yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's why, uh, yeah, you call me in and I'll remind everybody. That's what I do. I go to North Hills and I tell people about, you know, who Casper real was or, uh, you know, where we got all the names for the things in North Hills, like who's Babcock, who's McKnight's, you know, like, uh, Perrysville and all that type of stuff. And, uh, kids find that stuff. Fa- I mean, and who doesn't find that stuff fascinating really? So it's just an interesting thing. But, you know, I've always wondered about some local Pittsburgh foods and how they got their name. Well, wait, what, how, where is where does McKnight come from? Oh, well, McKnight was named after a 101-year-old man named John McKnight, who's buried in Highland Presbyterian Church uh, Cemetery. And On uh, his deathbed, he was like, <laughs> I want the most annoying road ever built. Exactly. <laughs> He's like, nightmares. <laughs> McNightmares for all. <laughs> so the uh yeah, he actually exchanged a southern portion of McKnight Road, about two hundred acres, in exchange for a young calf. Hmm. That's the story goes. Right. Babcock was named after the mayor of Pittsburgh, Edward Vose Babcock, and Perrysville named after Oliver Perry, uh the Commodore The Commodore. The Commodore, yes. Not sixty four, but the Commodore of the Battle of Lake Erie. And he was uh, an interesting guy, and I, I think we actually did talk about him in the first episode. So, so go back and listen to that if you want to hear more about Commodore Perry and his fleet. But we did talk about a little bit about Pittsburgh Rare, I think, last time mm-hmm. uh, in the Devonshire. In the Devonshire, but we we didn't talk about was Chipped Ham. Chipped Ham is a Pittsburgh yeah, thing. Isley's. Isley's, yeah, no, Isley's. This, this is like maybe the saddest fact I learned as a Pittsburgher. <laughs> Isley's is an Ohio-based company. It always has been. Really? Yes, really. How weird is that? <laughs> so, um... Where in Ohio? I, just, just not here. Just not here, yeah. I, I Skyscraper cone and the Klondike bar. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Ham. Yeah, that, so chipped ham, right? So chipped ham being, uh... And you ready for this? It's a mixture of the lesser known and kind of, uh, lower grade parts of a pig, <laughs> Uh, including pork shoulders and other things. Oh, yeah. All kind of ground up into a slurry, which they pump out into a loaf, <laughs> right? And then freeze it up and, uh, you know, or package it in that plastic and then slice it that certain way or chip it. And it becomes the most delicious meal you can have, you know. I don't care what's in it. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't ask questions. But no. Just, but Chip, I remember when I moved to California. I was 18 years old. I, I moved to California, Hollywood, California, to, with dreams in my eyes. You know, stars in my eyes. And uh, the uh, first thing I did was go to the local grocery store there. Ralph's was the name of their grocery store. <laughs> you know, uh, you could just think about, you know, that doesn't really conjure up many great images of, uh, of what a grocery store maybe would look like. It just makes me think of the Big Lebowski. Yeah, exactly. But I, I used to go to those Ralph's all the time. And first thing I asked for, I go up to the deli counter. I go, Can I, I'll take a pound of chipped ham. And the lady looked at me like I was talking you know, um, alien language. She was like, what is chipped ham? I was like, Oh my God. And, uh, a, a good fact for you to learn is, uh, 
you can get freeze-dried chipped ham shipped to you from Isley's directly to Hollywood, California, if you felt like it. I did. I did. I got a big hunk of ham, you know. Anyways, uh, it is a possibility. But back to Isley's, right? Uh, Also came up with the idea in 1922, the man himself, William Isley, dipped squares of vanilla ice cream into a pan of Swiss milk chocolate and created what he called the Klondike. And that was um, one of these, uh, and he named that, by the way, after the Klondike River in the Yukon. That's how he got the name. <laughs> so uh, interesting stuff. The Clark Bar, you know, uh, most people have heard of that, and it's named after D.L. or David Clark, the David Clark Company, Northside, founded in 1886. Uh, had a cool little thing. And, uh, of course, there's the uh, Giant Eagle. So, like, we talked about, you know, Ralph's, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, how do you get a name? But how do you get a name like Giant Eagle? Well, when you hear Giant Eagle, you don't think – if you weren't if you weren't from here, you wouldn't think grocery store, right? You know, Foodland, Shop and Save. I think of those like are a, grocery stores. Maybe like a like a, a giant statue of an eagle. Like, where's this giant eagle? <laughs> like, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but it was created uh, in 1931, founded by five families. It was a combination of all these families' grocery stores. They decided to get in kind of a conglomeration, you know, conglomeration, and that was the. Uh, you ready for this? The Goldstein Shapira, the Porter, the Chait, the Moravitz, and the Weizenbaums all formed together to make Giant Eagle. So that opened up in 1931. We don't know why they called it Giant Eagle? <laughs> no. I mean, in fact, uh, there's probably a, has to be some kind of story behind it, you know, like, uh, but sometimes it was just a, you know, a name that sticks. Yeah, you'll get that with a lot of things like Eaton Park. You know, like how do you come up with the name Eaton Park? Mm-hmm. They're like, well, hey, look outside, Betty. They're eating and parking. You know, there you go. There's his name. <laughs> so it's the. Uh, well, um, I always thought that was strange because you park and then you eat. Well, we weren't used to that. But you know, I like think back in the day, you of would course. get service at your car. Right. Well, um, park and eat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It would be the park and eat. But that doesn't that doesn't go as, it doesn't go as well. Eaton Park flows off the tongue a lot better than park and eat or park and eat. Yeah, park and eat and drive. <laughs> you know, yeah, I guess you can keep on going. Um, things like the steak salad are almost a Pittsburgh original, you know, with French fries on top. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's a unique thing. Of course, the Permanis, named after brothers, Permanis. So lots of cool uh, little facts about miscellaneous uh, kind of Pittsburgh things. Now, of course, we talked about, um, you know, all the different mansions, and we even talked about call letters and, and things like uh, little suburban communities like Green Tree, named after a little hotel next to a green, a literal green tree. Was it a bar? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a, like a bar, a local, local tavern. The Fox Chapel, not being named after the animal at all, being named after an actual guy, John Fox. And that was his chapel. <laughs> so it was uh, some cool stuff. So now we're going to get into some counties. So we talked about, you know, lots of Allegheny County stuff. And we did talk briefly about some things that were located in other counties like Zelianople, you know, named after the the one guy who founded the town, his daughter's favorite doll, Zeli, and he called it Opal and Opal Coriopolis. The guy's wife Cora, Opolis meaning city in ancient Greek. So like a lot of these origins of some of these names about where do the counties come from? So the first one we're going to start with is uh, Washington County. Okay. Uh, it was created and kind of pulled aside from Westmoreland County, which we'll talk about, but it was named after none other than Fred 
Washington. Oh, yes, I remember Fred Washington. Yeah, yeah, he no. was the... Uh, the brother of George. Founder of George, <laughs> George yeah. No, okay, but George... His goofy brother. Yeah, exactly, his goofy brother Fred. He, had, he invented uh, Fred Beer instead of Billy Beer. He, he only told lies. He, <laughs> you know? So, the, anyways... So, yeah. George Washington. George Washington, yes. But some unique things, uh, you know, unique facts about Washington County is... Uh, uh, it was the home of the first crematorium in the United States. It's interesting yeah. and, you know, weird. The uh, site of the Whiskey Rebellion, you know, the initial kind of overthrow of the tax collectors. That's where they were tarred and feathered. That happened in Washington County. Uh, have you ever heard of Pony League Baseball? It's the home of the Pony League World Series and the That's beginning was, of it. Where it was created, yeah, 1951. Two Pennsylvania towns, Pony League and Little League. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Uh, it's still the site of 21 covered bridges. That's pretty cool, right? Uh, some uh, another fact that I liked was uh, you ever hear of a man named Jay Livingston? He was a composer. Mm-mm. Jay Livingston wrote the song "K Sarah Sarah." Okay, Mona Lisa, and one of the facts that I've always found fascinating, and it's something that's always bothered me my entire life. Did you know that there's a time period prior to fifty, sixty years ago that there was basically no Christmas music? Like the Christmas music that you had back prior to 1950s were things like Jingle Bells, Deck the Halls, right? You know, some traditional classical songs that you could consider a uh, Christmas t- a tune, but not like a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or yeah. anything or a Frosty the Snowman or the things that we grew up on. Um, it, it's, it boggles my mind that there was a time period where that music did not exist. You know, it wasn't so much about Frosty the Snowman, it was more about the Frosty We Three the, Kings. And- exactly. We Three Kings, you know, uh, some, you know, green sleeves, <laughs> right? Jay Livingston created one of the most beloved Christmas songs of all time. And he was from Washington County, uh, specifically McDonald, PA. Uh, and he wrote the song Silver Bells. <laughs> you know, that was used in originally in the movie, Lemon Drop Kid, but uh, became an instant classic. It's been sung ever since. Uh, Silver Bell. I thought this was so, so cool, you know, that somebody from around one of these areas wrote one of those legendary Christmas songs that will forever be in the repertoire of Christmas. Armstrong County. Armstrong. Who, who do you think that's named after? Lance. Ar- you are 1,000% wrong. So it was named after a Mr. John Armstrong Sr., born in 1717. He was in, born in Ireland, uh, came over here to Pennsylvania, and was a civil engineer and worked for the Penn family. He's the one that kind of surveyed a lot of the land all over um, this old western Pennsylvania, but eventually um, you know, claimed his own land there and called it Armstrong. And so that's where Armstrong County really kind of comes from. Um, but he... Also, uh, you know, during his long life, he wasn't just a civil engineer. He didn't just, you know, look at land and was a surveyor. He was also the leader uh, and a major general of the PA militia during uh, the Revolutionary War. Uh, was even a delegate from Pennsylvania to the Continental Congress and led the what they call the Catanning Expedi- Expedition in 1758. The Catanning Expedition kind of uh, led the charge to uh, push the French out of Pittsburgh. Uh, and cause they were occupying it here and he was one of the early people to kind of go and make some deals with the native Americans and, uh, Katanning, by the way, which is in Armstrong County, uh, comes from Kitanuk, which means big mountain river in the old Delaware language. Mm. So that's how you got that name. And it's, it's home to Parker, 
Pennsylvania, which is the at one time a large metropolis city and now considered the smallest city in the United States. It went from 20,000 people to 800. To 800. <laughs> was there a in, industry there? Yeah, it was all throughout the industry. It was this early 1900s industry. And um, all that stuff went away, and now it's back to being a tiny little small village, even though it's technically a city. Right? So, interesting. It's in the, it's in the, the book of records for uh, smallest city in the United States. Hmm. So, you know, so I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, farther up north, right? You keep on going past Allegheny County, you get to Butler County. So, Butler County. Lots of cool stuff with, with General Richard Butler. Dick Butler. <laughs> Right, and we talked about him. We did because right? he Butler because there's a lot of Butlers actually because that, that's what because Butler Street yeah in Lawrenceville is not named after the same Butler. Oh no, right, it's not yeah. So he had uh, a couple brothers. He had uh, Thomas and Edward and a William. William is who Butler Street in Lawrenceville is named after. Oh, but the brother got the county. So that's right. General the general got the county. He was born in 1743. Uh, he was hired during the onset of the American Revolution to negotiate with the Indians, uh, or at least kind of get them into a neutral aspect in the in the American Revolution. You know, to see like they wouldn't mess with the new American cause, or are they going to continue to support the British? And uh, he was in charge of basically the entire Northwest Territory, which was everything west of Pittsburgh. So all all of Ohio, all of Michigan, everything that was west of Ohio that was Native American-occupied territories. He was the one that had to make those deals. He was president at the, at the Treaty of Fort Stanwix, uh, etc. Um, interesting thing about him, he was uh, killed in the Battle of St. Clair's Defeat in 1791 while uh, leading a charge, and it was one of the most uh, worst battles of the you know, late, what came after the American Revolution, which was a sad time in American history where we— uh, decided that we'd have these kind of expeditions, they would call them, to wipe out the Native Americans uh, across the United States. And uh, General Richard Butler was one of the people who led the charge, uh, along with St. Clair, along with some of the other people that were prominent, you know, and uh, that we had named things after because they didn't just do that. They did lots of things, you know. And uh, speaking of doing lots of things, he did a, uh, he had four kids uh, through one woman, but he had another kid. With a six foot six tall Shawnee's chief, chiefess named Non Halima. Right? She also had a kid with Alexander McKee, who McKee's Rocks was named after, named Thomas McKee. Hmm. But the son that she had with General Richard Butler, right, uh, named as, uh, he didn't really even have a first name. He was just known as a uh, uh, Captain Butler, they called him. And he fought very strongly for the Native American rights even though his dad was General Richard Butler, the guy trying to push the Native Americans out. And they fought against each other uh, in some of these leading battles until he was finally killed, General Richard Butler being killed in battle. This sounds like the M.O. of people that are prejudiced toward other cultures. Uh, Yeah. For example, Strom Thurmond, who was a a strong segregist, Mm -hmm. but yet had relations with his African-American workers. <laughs> yeah. That's where this gentleman same. goes around wiping out Indians, but then has a child with With one of the, exactly. So like, it makes you kind of think of the uh, hypocrisy is nothing new. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Know, it can, it in continues. Politics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it was going uh, all the way back. Everything that's. Yeah. To the very beginning of American history. It's old as new again. Back. Yeah. 
And uh, she was no dummy. I mean, this this was. I mean, she was six foot six feet tall. I was six foot six inches tall, and uh, really well known uh, person. It wasn't just a uh, um, you know a nobody. She, in fact, her brother was the um, was a very famous uh, Native American. But uh, what she was actually captured and held at Fort Pitt uh, downtown. And while there, she created the first English to Indian dictionary. It's a Shawnee's dictionary. But she created that and wrote that, and it's wow. published. You can find it online if you look. Her name was uh, Nonhalema, so N-O-N-H-E-L-E-M-A. Interesting lady. Um, I, was, I always wondered how they did that, how they did, like when they first showed up, mm-hmm. settlers in uh, from Europe, how they were able to talk with natives and how long it took for that you had, barrier um, to be broken down. It. It's interesting to look at that. In fact, when you read through diaries or accounts of like direct interactions between the Native Americans and like people like George Washington, uh, when you read his diary, for example, you see in there that they try to make an attempt. Or, well, I mean, a lot of times they've had people have already established here that it could speak some of the language or kind of figured things out. And a lot of the stuff was descriptive, you know, like Big Mountain River, you know, for example. And uh, the more you kind of were around it, the easier it was to learn. And, um, and, and most things as, as evidence from episodes part one and two are, uh, were come from native American words. So these were, and they never changed. I mean, not the spelling has changed, but that's because spelling was never really a thing. Um, or wasn't, you know, there wasn't a grammar police back in 1750. <laughs> yeah. You talked about the way that George Washington would spell Monongahela. Probably the way I would spell it today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, I can only imagine how someone spelled Connecticut, you know? So, but anyways, the, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it it had to do with the pronunciation of the word more so than the, uh, the actual, like Katanic, like Kithanuk is how you pronounced it. You know, or Aliquippa was Aliquapa. Aliquapa, yeah. Yeah. So it, it was, um, these kind of translations of loosely, gone you know gone away uh but the the names kind of remain and it's interesting to see how that evolves i agree with you and there was uh vest alagahani which yeah. is west allegheny exactly i just exactly. made that up i don't there think that's go. real that's right yeah the alagahani yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyways the uh butler also be in the home of course the the jeep the bantam jeep mm-hmm. who was invented there in 1941 but the weirdest fact for butler county is that richard butler didn't just have a county named after him and Pennsylvania. He also had Butler County, Ohio, and Butler County, Kentucky, all named after the same guy. Wow. Yeah. So now we go, you know, what what do you think football legends Tony Dorsett, Mike Ditka, and Joe Namath all have in common? I do know they're all from Beaver County. That's right. They're all from Beaver County. Um, King, well, you would think that it was named after someone or something, uh, maybe Native American origin, and uh, there was, in fact, a very, very big, prominent king, Beaver, who was here. His name was Tamakwa, and he was a Delaware chieftain, brother of Shingus, and he was kind of like more the peacemaker, where Shingus was more the warrior, uh, but the whole county was really named after the river, the Big Beaver Creek, and uh, all the townships around there, uh, they were all townships at one time. Everything what what you'll see in the next uh, county was all kind of taken away from Westmoreland County. Okay. Uh, so Beaver County originally was just townships and it was to the North South. You had, you have North Beaver, South Beaver. Okay. Of the Creek. And you had Swickley, 
which came from the uh, from from the also by the Big Beaver Creek, Hanover, named after you know British origin. Then you had First Moon and Second Moon townships, hmm. both which not in existence today. It's not the same Moon. Town. It's in the general area, but not in the um, yeah. Because Moon is in Allegheny County, that's right on the, on the edge. That's right. You know, but you had Crescent Township, which is now I think is in Butler County, or you know close to it, or Beaver County, close to Beaver County. But it, anyways, yeah, it was all named after the river. And uh, Moon, of course, we talked about, no one really knows. No one knows if it was actually named after the moon, like the thing in the sky, or it was named after a guy, because there is uh, there is people on record with the last name Moon who own land. Yeah, Warren Moon. Football <laughs> right. player. <laughs> right, exactly. <clears throat> right. So the, uh, but yeah, interesting little uh, thing. Of course, so, it was the home of old economy and uh, and the earliest kind of capital of the West, which was Logstown, which is where today's uh, kind of Ambridge area is today. But obviously, this Big Beaver Creek was named after probably there were a bunch of there were a lot of beavers. There. That's exactly right. So the, the 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 truth is that it was named after the animal and not a man. Even though there was a king beaver who did live in the area, but uh, he had no relation, I guess, to the creek. Um, well, beaver County seems to have more of a a Native American presence than a lot of the other surrounding counties because you have it does. Manaka, yeah. Aliquippa, right. Chippewa, mm-hmm. um, you know the other ones you were naming, but then yep. you have Ambridge, which is obviously because it was a Ambridge is the king of the Indians. Yeah, like like I was saying before, Logstown was the cap. I mean, that was the place. If you were anybody traveling through this area, you stopped in Ambridge. I thought Ambridge was named after the bridge industry. Well, the the currently yes, but. Prior names were Le- oh, Legionville. Oh, okay. It was called Legionville for a time period because that's where the uh, the first legion of the United States was formed, or what we today we call the army. <laughs> that's where it was created. Oh, the army, the United States Army, was created. It was called the Legion of the United States. It was created right there in Ambridge, almost on the same location, the same spot, same field, which is still a field to this day. Luckily, there's a sheets. Maybe I'm part of it. There's but, probably a sheets on a lot of things <laughs> yeah, that used to be. The, uh, I think a car dealership too. But most of it is still intact. And uh, that was the training grounds for Legionville. And also the uh, the uh, with Matt, General Matt Anthony Wayne is the guy who for- formed that whole Legion in the United States. But it's also the former uh, village of Logstown. And I mean, that's where Mohicans lived and and uh, Delaware and Shawnee and... and uh, you know, all, all, all the groups of Native Americans, this is where they all kind of settled. It was a large, large village. In fact, they had multiple villages there. It wasn't just that one. And that leaves us with Westmoreland County. So how do you think we got the name Westmoreland? Do you think it comes from something or somebody or? General Westmoreland. No. So okay. it was named after one of the ancient counties of England, Westmoreland. Huh. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, a lot of things were named after England, like we've explored in the past, uh, which I don't find too surprising, but uh, what I did find surprising, it was the very first county west of the Allegheny Mountains. So that means before there was counties in any other state west of the Allegheny Mountains. Allegheny County even. Yeah. uh, Well, this prior to Allegheny County, that was Westmoreland County. In fact, Westmoreland County, the things that were like taken from Westmoreland County were Allegheny County, Fayette, Washington, Green, Beaver, Indiana, and Armstrong (laughs) were all counties that used to be called Westmoreland County. So, in fact, when you go into deep research, and even in the Allegheny County deed books, uh, and look at some of the early property deeds downtown, 
if you get into like the 1790s, uh, 17, you'll see it's Westmoreland County. It's not Allegheny County. Well, Allegheny, Allegheny uh, you know, prior to 18, uh, the 1780s. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of weird. Um, and uh, of course, it was named after that Westmoreland, England. Every episode, we read a question and John gives an answer. And uh, who's it from this week? This question was submitted by um, Miss Robin Wagner. And she asked, what is the origin of the terrible towel? Right. So do you know what the origin of the terrible towel or anything about with like, Myron Cope? With Myron Cope. Yeah. What about it? I know that he wanted to, he told people to bring a yellow towel to a uh, Steeler playoff game. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people did. And uh, I know that technically the terrible towel magical powers only work during playoff games. Oh, that's good. Um, that's good. It's not supposed to be used during right. the regular season. Right. Right. If you, so if you're a terrible towel, you know, purist. <laughs> right. Like I have mine locked away until playoff time. I good. just haven't been good. able to bring it out lately. So I use mine. I, I keep it on my uh, refrigerator door. So I probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> but the uh, it looks nice. It's a good reminder, but on December 27th, 1975, WTAE decided to create a gimmick to attract sponsors with the help of Myron Cope. This was during a playoff game for uh, versus the Baltimore Colts, okay? Um, they originally, you know, Myron Cope was part of that WTAE team and, and decided that, uh, you know, it was completely against the idea. They needed, they know they needed to come up with something. They just didn't know what. And in fact, they, they originally thought of coming up with black masks. That people could wear with a saying from Chuck Knoll on it, okay? But they thought, man, that's gonna be too expensive, and that wouldn't you know, look, <laughs> look a little weird today. It would look a little weird. But uh, the uh, in fact, there's a quote from uh, Myron Cope, and it says, "I'm not a gimmick guy. I've never been a gimmick guy. I never will be a gimmick guy." And then the guy said, "Well, if you do this, it's probably a good raise for you." And he's like, "I am now a gimmick guy, <laughs> right?" And uh, they decided to come up with the idea of the terrible towel. Uh, yellow towel or gold, uh, bring it to that game, that specific game, December 27th, 1975. And uh, the Steelers thought it was the most ridiculous thing they ever heard. The press criticized it nonstop in the paper that day. But as soon as they came out of that tunnel and looked up and saw 30,000 people waving this yellow towel, uh, it kind of changed their minds. And, of course, we went on to win our second Super Bowl that year. Um, That incident and that towel is technically now there's been instances of one guy like a coach in the 1912s or whatever uh brought a red towel to a football game and just wore it on his head or something like this okay so there's little tidbits and little things like that but nothing like what would become the terrible towel or what you would call a rally towel today and uh almost every single team in the you know nfl has one today baseball teams now have it hockey has it. oh yeah they're all everywhere. Started with Myron Cope right here in Pittsburgh, 1975. That was the first. That was the original. Mm-hmm. A original. And it's what ties Mount Everest and the International Space Station together. They've been in both places. Easy to take. That's right. Uh, the, all the proceeds Myron Cope gave away before he died go to the Allegheny Valley School. In fact, they've raised um, over $3 million. Uh, on proceeds from so that. every time you buy an official terrible towel, you're helping out the kids at Allegheny. That's right. Uh, because I believe his uh, his son or daughter was is a um, patient there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, pretty interesting stuff. You know, like I always wondered myself. So, last but not least, this question comes 
from Michelle Gapsky at Robert Morris University. Uh, we apparently have some fans at Robert Morris. Nice. <laughs> yeah. and uh, who Lovely regu- campus in Moon. That's right. I work right, or downtown. right next door almost, you know, and uh, wanted to know about Robert Morris. Like, they know that he was the, what they call the financier of the, you know, of the American Revolution, that he did sign the Declaration of mm-hmm. Independence, but... Who was Robert Morris? Is there anything weird or unusual with Robert Morris? And, um, you know, things that they might not even know themselves, Robert Morris University. And uh, I found some things. So uh, not only was he the signer of the Declaration of Independence, but also signed the Articles of the Confederation and the U.S. Constitution. So interesting. He financed the American Revolution, uh, which he did. He got all that money through a shipping industry. Now, a lot of the shipping industry that he was doing uh, trade from American goods over to England and over to other countries uh, was actually sponsored, and uh, a lot of it was actually, some of the work was done by uh, pirateers, and he hired illegal pirates, you know, uh, illegal, you know, pirates, uh, to to do some of this bidding and to get capture some of these goods. Wow. Pretty interesting. He did dabble in the slave ship uh, kind of Mm. thing, but he personally did not own any slaves. That is important to note. So good for him, right? Uh, he, in, after the American Revolution, became the very first American contact with the China, Chinese export and trade industry. He was the first guy to make contact with them. Uh, that was in 1784, uh, dealing with them. Interesting stuff. Uh, and he originally supported the British, uh, even while being on the Continental Congress. And, uh, and, and he was in support of the Stamp Act, and he supported that. Um, and he voted again. He was one of three people in the United in that Continental Congress to actually vote against going to war, which was interesting. However, when they he was overruled, and there was a swing vote, and we you know we went we signed the order that we're going to go to war with England. Um, he, there's a quote from him which I always I, I found pretty fascinating, and he said, "I'm not one of these politicians that runs testy when my own plans are not adopted." I think that it's my duty of a good citizen to follow when he cannot lead. So meaning that, you know, just because he didn't get the vote or didn't get what he wanted, he's not going to not sign it. Yeah. And uh, he's going to support it, you know, whether, and he did. And he became the guy that basically funded all of George Washington's, you know, he, he was there, he funded the Battle of Lexington and Concord, you know, he, he, he did, um, everything he could possibly imagine, uh, it was coming really from him and he even had his own private Navy. Basically, uh, he just commissioned all of the ships to come work and, and he supported millions of dollars towards the effort of the American revolution. And without him, uh, we might not have won the war. Hmm. So he's one of the, uh, kind of underdogs of the American revolution. And, uh, we have that school name to think about. And so every time you could drive past that or see that, or, you know, you hear about it, uh, think about that. We might not be standing here today if it wasn't for Robert Morris. Nice. Uh, he also was kind of a little bit, little bit like Benjamin Franklin too. He also had a, uh, a steam engine company. He also had the very first iron rolling mill in the United States and he even started a horticultural society. It's interesting stuff, Hmm. right? So thank you for tuning in for the third episode. We don't want to say final because you yeah, never I, know. I can't say final. Yeah, because there's there's so many names. This, you could, know? this could end up being the Star Wars trilogy where there's nine episodes. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Just don't make it the Fast and Furious, yeah. right? I don't need ten episodes of Pittsburgh names. Although, uh, you know, I could sit here and go all night. But um, I hope you enjoyed this episode and enjoyed the trilogy. 
Make sure you go back and listen to part one and two. And until next time, that's it for Pit. <laughs>